I want to begin today by reading you guys an article that I found. This is from U.S. News and World Report. Um, it's entitled, or the subtitle is, Americans are Lonely. Almost half report feeling alone or left out nearly all of the time. Here's what it says. Health insurers Cigna's 2018 U.S. Loneliness Index found that 46% of Americans report feeling lonely sometimes or always, and 47% report feeling left out sometimes or always. A little less, 43% report feeling isolated from others. The same number report feeling they lack companionship and their relationships lack meaning. The report conducted in partnership with Ipsos surveyed 20,000 people in the U.S. using UCLA's loneliness scale, a 20-item questionnaire. It says um, it, it is designed to measure one's subjective feelings of loneliness as well as feelings of social isolation. A score of 43 or higher on the scale is considered lonely, Cigna reported. The study approached the subject from the perspective of its effect on health and well-being, citing research that suggests, now get this, loneliness has the same impact on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So I don't know how you want to take that. Maybe smoke while in a group and it's a wash. That might be the point there. I'm not sure, but... Anyway, 27% of Americans rarely or never feel like there are people who understand them. Only 27% feel they belong to a group of friends. And 24% report they can find companionship when they want it. Additionally, one in five Americans rarely, if ever, feel close to others. And only about half. 53% report having meaningful in-person social interactions with friends or family on a daily basis. Feelings of loneliness are worse in younger generations than in older ones, with Gen Zers and millennials reporting higher feelings of loneliness and isolation on the loneliness scale than older generations. Gen Zers, ages 18 to 22, scored a loneliness rate of 48.3 out of 80 making them the loneliest generation in U.S. history. Millennials ages 23 to 37 come in second with a loneliness score of 45.3. So I found that really interesting, and here's one of the reasons I found it interesting. The date of the article is May 2018, pre-COVID. Now, now, we all heard about, we've all seen the spikes in the numbers, the mental health issues, right? The, the suicide rate going through the roof, the loneliness uh, factors going up and up. I cannot imagine how much that changed between May of 2018 and here June of 2021. But I guarantee you it is far worse today than it was when Cigna did their research. Now, I wanted to start my message with that joyful bit of news. Because I want you to keep it in mind as we turn in our, in our Bibles to Acts chapter 8. 
If uh, you're new with us today, you should know we're kind of uh, running around, ping-ponging our way through the book of Acts, and this first section in Acts that we're dealing with deals with this issue of being on a co-mission with God and what that looks like and what it means. So if you'll turn to Acts chapter 8, it's in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts, okay? Fifth book of the New Testament, right after John, go to Acts chapter 8 and join me in verse 25, as we begin to read together, Acts 8, 25. So, when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. All right, let's stop there. Now, you may be wondering why I read you that article about loneliness before introducing you to this guy, this Ethiopian in the book of Acts. But after all, this guy is not one of the guys that we would read about in this article, right? This is a guy who is successful. This is a guy who is wealthy. This is a guy who is a royal official. He would be, uh, in the United States, the Secretary of the Treasury. He, he's high-ranking. He is traveling in what was the limousine of his day, right? He's in a horse-drawn chariot that is taking him back and forth from Jerusalem to Ethiopia. Uh, he is wealthy. He is powerful. Surely, he's not one of these statistics, right? Well, let's think about it. He's returning, it tells us, from Jerusalem where he came to worship, and he had been visiting the temple for a time of personal worship. He is a black-skinned African man worshiping in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Do you think he blended in? He probably didn't blend in. I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the ancient Jewish temple, it was probably the most segregated place on the planet, right? You, you had Gentiles in one area and Jews could be in another area. You had uh, areas where men were allowed to be and other areas where women were allowed to be. Uh, they were completely segregated in that kind of a way. And if you happen to be, you know, just in your quiet time this morning reading Deuteronomy chapter 23, because you can't get enough of that stuff, you would find that in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, it says eunuchs are not allowed to go into the temple. So here's this guy. He is a black-skinned African man in Jerusalem. He is a eunuch, which means he is not allowed to even go beyond the outer courts of the temple. So you, you have um, the very inner parts, it's only the high priest, and then the, the, the more outer part of that, which is the other priests and rulers, and then outside of that, Jewish men, outside of that, Jewish women, outside of that, the court of the Gentiles, and then somewhere standing on the border of the court of the Gentiles, 
is this black-skinned African man who is not allowed to go any further in than this, and he traveled all the way from Ethiopia to come and worship. Do you think he felt welcome? Do you think he felt like he fit in? I'm guessing that he felt very alone. I'm guessing after this worship experience that he felt very confused about God, about his place in God's economy, about how all of this works. I wonder if he wondered how God sees him. How must God see me? I'm not even allowed to go near the place where people worship God. Does God even care about me? Am I enough? Am I good enough? Do I measure up? Do I fit in? He must have felt like the most outcast guy in the world. Does God even care about me? Even in the crowded temple court, I'm guessing he felt like he didn't belong. You ever felt that way at church? Like, you show up and you see all the people with their happy faces, well, with their masks, and you assume there are happy faces underneath, and everybody seems to have it all together, and everybody's family seems great, but your family was like killing each other in the back seat on the way here. And, and you've had a really, really rough week, and you know that there's some stuff going on in your life that God's not pleased with, and you feel like you're walking onto the church campus and there's like blinking arrows from the sky going, hey, look at this guy, he's a complete mess. If you've ever felt like that, imagine being the pastor and feeling like that. <laughs> you want to worship, you, you, you wanna connect with God. You wanna connect with the people of God. You want to fit in but you just don't feel like you can. Well, according to the article I just read, lots of people feel like that. Well, now that you have met our main character, let's make sure we remember the context of the story thus far. The church is born in Acts chapter two. Big celebration, Holy Spirit makes a big splash. People are amazed, there's a sound of a violent rushing wind. People are speaking languages they've never learned and people are being swept into the kingdom of God. People who came from all around are now part of the body of Christ. They don't go home, they stay. 3,000 new believers on that first day and then ministry and church growth and amazing things going on throughout the whole process of that time in the first few chapters of the book of Acts. And then comes the persecution, the stoning of Stephen, the scattering of the church. They, they're headed out. Didn't, didn't Jesus tell them, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. And they had stayed there in Jerusalem until the persecution came and now they've been spread out and they're going through Samaria and that's what we talked about last week where Philip goes down to Samaria, preaches the gospel and Samaritans are getting saved. Even a Samaritan sorcerer comes to follow Jesus through Philip's ministry there in chapter eight, the first part of chapter eight of Acts. They're sharing the gospel with outsiders. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, what's left? Oh yeah, the uttermost parts of the earth. After all, God's people have been blessed to be a blessing. You want a mantra to memorize that you should say to yourself every day when you get up in the morning? I have been blessed to be a blessing. Let's try it, ready? I have been blessed 
to be a blessing. That was pathetic. I have been blessed to be a blessing. God has blessed you, amen? And he has blessed you because he wants his blessings to pour through you. His blessings are not supposed to end with you. That's never been the way it is with God. Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, I will bless you, Abraham. I will make you a great nation and through you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Or or think about Jesus when he calls his disciples, these fishermen, he says, I want you guys to follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will turn you into people who don't just receive a blessing, but also give a blessing to others as you go wherever it is that you go. And then the mandate of the Great Commission to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the heart of God. We have been blessed to be a blessing. Jesus came to start a movement, a movement that cannot be stopped and would touch every corner of the earth and every generation of mankind. That's the idea. And it started with the church. And we've seen in the book of Acts how God used these especially gifted people, these apostles, to to preach to large crowds, to heal the sick, to to perform miracles, to do all of these kinds of things that that, um, bring credibility to the gospel message, right? And, And these especially gifted people are doing all these things, but if we're honest, we read the book of Acts and we go, wow, how cool that those especially gifted people could do those kind of things, but I look in the mirror every morning and guess what I see? a not so especially gifted person. I don't relate to those apostles. I'm guessing that most of us that are within the sound of my voice today are going, I don't really get that. You can talk about standing before a crowd of 3,000 and preaching the gospel. I am never gonna do that. And, And you know what? You probably won't. And you know what else? You probably shouldn't because you're probably not gifted for that right? We're not all gifted in the same ways. And we see these amazing miracle working men in the book of Acts and we're like, well, if that's what it is to be a Christian, I don't see where I fit. I don't know how I can be a part of this great movement of God. I don't have that kind of giftedness. I don't have that kind of power. I don't know how to do that stuff. I don't even get those opportunities. So today we're going to take the spotlight off of the especially gifted superstars. And we're gonna take the spotlight off of the great, big, giant, uh, flashy moments. And we're gonna get down to this question. What does it look like for the average Joe or Jane Christian to be a part of this movement? Is there a way that I can just be me and still be a part of this great movement of God, an essential part that God is using to change the world. And we're gonna get our mind off these lofty sort of general principles that we spend so much time thinking about, and we're gonna get into some specifics today. We're gonna talk specifically about practical how-tos so that we can fit into this movement of God. Well, back to our story. Philip 
is having great success in Samaria. Remember, he goes down after Stephen gets stoned. He ends up in Samaria, the place that no Jewish person wants to go, but he finds people there and he starts preaching the gospel and he starts praying for people and he starts uh, ministering to people. God's doing miraculous things and amazing things are happening through Philip. And he is having great success. And I can only imagine that Philip is thinking to himself, okay, maybe this was my niche. I never, ever thought I'd be in Samaria, but God has sent me to Samaria and it is going great. It could not be better. You know, he gets confronted by a Samaritan sorcerer and the sorcerer comes to meet Christ. His ministry is just being blessed in every way you can imagine. It's an incredible thing and everything is going great and then God comes along and says, you're done here. Look at verse 27. We're in uh, chapter eight of Acts, verse 27. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasury, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Everything's going great in Samaria, and God says, I want you to go out to a desert road. Ever feel like that? Ever feel like you had a plan and then all of a sudden your plan is completely derailed? And you just shrug your shoulders and go, but Lord, I prayed and I asked you to please guide my life and this is what's happening? I mean, it was finally going well in my career and suddenly I get a pink slip? It was finally going well. I met the right girl and she met the right guy and he wasn't me. I, I thought I had this whole thing figured out, God. And then all of a sudden, there's this left turn from out of nowhere, this challenge that I have to face, this end to the thing that is going right. Like you have a plan, and you got a good thing going, and suddenly it's over. Luke makes a point in verse 26 after telling us all the great stuff that's happening with Philip's ministry in Samaria. He makes a point of saying, and God sent him to a desert road. He goes, you know, the, and the angel came and told him to go to this road that goes to Gaza. And then in parentheses it says, and this is a desert road. Just, just in case you're wondering if this is the road through a great metropolis, it ain't. Just in case you're wondering if God sent Philip to be the pastor of a mega church, he didn't. Just in case you're thinking, oh, this is going to be the big time for Philip, it wasn't. God says, I want you to go to this road. Just, it's a road. It's in the middle of the desert. There's nothing there. I want you to go to that road. This probably was not his idea of where significant ministry was going to take place. Kind of like your workplace, where it never has even occurred to you that maybe God might have planted you there in that place where there's no Christian support and no people on your side and nobody that's looking out for you and nobody asking you your opinion about your faith. And that place, maybe that's a desert road that God's gonna do some ministry, but it's never even occurred to you that he sent you to that desert road. Maybe it's your family. Maybe you look at the dysfunction of your family and you're like, what am I doing here? 
And maybe God placed you in that family and that's your desert road or your school or your circle of friends or whatever the case might be. This is where God's gonna use Philip to change the world by changing a life. And this is so encouraging to me. This is not change the world by do some big massive thing that everybody notices. This is changing the world by touching one life. Look at verse 30. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. He was as a sheep led to slaughter. As a lamb before its shearers is silent so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate to his generation for his life was removed from the earth? The eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Now listen, we read that passage, a quote from Isaiah, and we get this now. We know it's talking about the Messiah. Do you know that before the time of Jesus, absolutely nobody on the planet had any idea who that passage was talking about? The rabbis argued about it. If you read ancient um, Jewish rabbinical writings, there was a million opinions about who is Isaiah talking about. The average person thought Isaiah was talking about himself. Others thought Isaiah was talking about some other prophet who would be coming. Nobody had any idea who it was that he was talking about. And so this guy's reading this, and like everybody else in his time, he does not understand the passage. By the way, raise your hand. You ever read a Bible passage you didn't understand? Okay, we're not alone in this, right? That happens. And so he's reading this. We get this now. We know it's about the Messiah, but for the longest time, they didn't understand it. Now, before we go on, let me ask you to think about something. If you were here a couple weeks ago or maybe connected online a couple of weeks ago and you, you saw that message, um, I asked you at the end of that message to think about something. I asked you to think about who might be one person that God has placed in your life that you might be in a unique position to have an influence on for Christ. Just begin to think about that person, begin to pray for that person. Now, if you weren't here, didn't hear that sermon, or, or were asleep by that point in the sermon, or whatever, um, so let me just ask you now, think about this. Who has God placed in your life? Don't get 50 people in mind, get a picture, one person. Who has God placed in your life who needs to encounter Jesus, and, and maybe you could have a role praying for that person, caring for that person, meeting that person's needs, sharing with that person, whatever the case may be. I want you to get that one person in mind. Philip had no idea when he woke up that morning, this was his one person. This was the person that God had divinely appointed Philip's life to crash into that day. Well, Philip, what are you doing out here on this desert road? 
There's not even a lemonade stand out here. There's not a gas station out here. There is no place and nobody out here. And along comes this chariot. What in the world are you doing here, Philip? Well, it's the strangest thing. But an angel appeared to me and told me to come to this road. Really, how weird. I'm the only chariot coming by here today. This was Philip's one person that day. Who has God brought into your life by divine appointment? Now, now you might be thinking, oh, there's this new guy who just started at work. Let me reel you in a little bit before you go there. How about your spouse? How about your kids? How about your parents, your siblings? How about your coworkers? How about your fellow students? How about your neighbors on your street? How about somebody who's sitting in this room with you here today? How much thought have you given, take the person, you've got a person in your mind, right? How much thought have you given to what it's like to be that person? To to walk in that person's shoes? Let me, let me just paint a picture for you, give you an example, because, uh, you know, I started out in youth ministry and used to meet with parents all the time, and they'd be like, you know, I don't get it. My teenager listens to you, whatever you say is right, but man, I try to tell my teenager something, and they just roll their eyes. I, you've never seen a teenager roll their eyes, right? Okay, so... Uh, you know, what's the deal? How, what's the trick? How do you do this? And then, and then, of course, I had my own children, and eventually they grew up and became teenagers, and you know what I found out? It's a universal ailment, the eye-rolling thing. <laughs> and, and you think, wow, you know, my teenagers, they're, they're, they won't listen. They don't, they don't seem to want to share what's going on in their life. They're not inviting me into their Circle, in fact, they are putting up clear signs. Keep out. Don't come near. You're not welcome here. Well, have you ever thought, parents of teenagers, have you ever thought about coming alongside your teenager's life instead of jumping in front of their chariot? See, when as a parent, you jump in front of a teenager's chariot, there's actually a term for those parents. They're called roadkill. <laughs> Any, anybody who's raised teenagers say amen to that? Isn't that not true? Um, and, and guys, there is something powerful about wanting to know what that teenager or that coworker or that spouse or that next door neighbor with the loud music and the obnoxious barking dogs, what they're going through. What's happening in their lives? What challenges are they facing? What hopes and dreams do they have? What's it feel like to be in the situation they're in? Philip sets an amazing example for us here in Acts chapter eight. Uh, And I'm going to give you four specific things. This is not usually my style of preaching. You're going to get four points, right? So if you're a note taker, write down your four points. 
I'm gonna give you four specific things that you can do to be like Philip and change the world by changing a life. The first one is this. And it might sound obvious, but if I skip it and you don't get it, you missed everything. First one is this. You have to walk with Jesus before you can share Jesus. Do you understand? We have to walk with Jesus before we can share Jesus. In fact, in our men's Bible study yesterday, we have a Saturday morning men's Bible study. If you're a guy, you're invited, come and join us. It's online every Saturday at eight. But we have this men's Bible study and we're studying through the book of John. I wanna take you, just flip back real quick, keep your finger in Acts, but go to John chapter seven. This is our passage from yesterday. John chapter seven and verse 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is saying, if you're thirsty, come to me. And you expect him to say what he says to the woman at the well, which is that I will give you drink and you'll never be thirsty again. But he goes far beyond that. He says, come to me and I will give you a river of living water, moving water, a river, not a pond, not a cup, but a river, a living water that will flow from your inmost being out to those around you. See, until you connect to the river, you've got nothing to give anybody. I know it seems obvious, but guys, if we're to think of our lives as one through whom the blessings of God flow, we might think of ourselves like a garden hose, right? Garden hose is a wonderful tool if it's connected to the spigot. You don't have that hose connected to the spigot, guess what, nothing good's coming out the other end. That's how it works. You have to walk with Jesus before you can share him. Philip had been walking with Jesus when we first met him. The first thing we're told about Philip in Acts chapter six is that he is a man full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And then we see him walking with the Lord. We see him responding to God's promptings. We see him recognizing God's voice. This is what he does. He walks with Jesus. And when you're walking with Jesus, guys, I know this is obvious, but just humor me, right? When you're walking with Jesus, guess what? Jesus is going somewhere. And he's gonna run into some people along the way. So if you're gonna walk with Jesus, you are going to encounter the people whose lives Jesus wants to touch. And that's what it looks like to join this commission with God. Some of us know that our own lives lack intimacy with Jesus. I mean, we just, we know that. And, and we still wonder why our lives aren't world-changing. And we, we read the book of Acts and we hear sermons preached about how God wants to change the world through us and we sort of shrug our shoulders because there's no power coming into us that's gonna flow through us. You have to walk with Jesus before you have something to share. And so guys, don't go take a class in evangelism. 
Don't order a, a bunch of tracks in bulk and then go sit on the city bus and share them with people. How about this? Get up a little bit early in the morning and spend some time in prayer and read the word of God and start to learn what the voice of Jesus sounds like from his word. And once God's word and obedience and worship and, and um, real active interaction with God becomes real in your life, you're gonna find that that's gonna spill over. I, I love the, the illustration uh, you know, of a cup of water, right? In this case, it's a bottle of water. It's almost full, right? It's just fine as long as it's in the cup, but guess what? If you hit it, sorry, Dave. <laughs> that felt pretty good. I'm thinking maybe, I'd, anyways. If you hit it, guess what comes out? What's inside, right? How many times do I get bumped into in my daily life and what comes out is not the spirit of God? <laughs> Guys, when we get bumped, that's the moment that the spirit is supposed to shine. That's the moment that the Lord is supposed to spill out onto people. So let me just remind you, you don't have anything to share until you're partaking in what God has to share with you. And I say this if you're a Christian, it's time for you to reconnect with God in a deeper way than you're used to. And if you are here today or listening to this message and you don't know Jesus yet, I just wanna tell you, listen, you're never going to be this source of blessing to other people until you connect to the source of blessing who is Jesus himself. So begin there. That's number one. Number two, look for and pray for open doors. So many people feel like they never get the opportunities to touch lives and shine for Jesus. You hear people sharing their testimony. Oh, I was sharing with this coworker in the lunchroom at work and that person needed to know Jesus and it was so great and I sat there and we prayed and that person received Christ and there were angels singing and the whole place broke into dance and it was this beautiful thing. And, and you hear these stories and you go, man, how come that never happens to me? I, I never... I never even get a chance to talk to somebody about Jesus. I never even get a chance to really make an impact in somebody's life. It just never seems to happen for me. And you wonder why that is. There's a verse in James that says, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. Guys, it's interesting, isn't it? I'm, I'm speaking to Christians now. We pray for our own needs all the time. We pray for the people who are closest to us. We pray for our financial needs. We pray for our health. We pray for the test that's coming up in school tomorrow. We pray for all of these things that we need. How often do we stop and pray for God to open our eyes to see the opportunities that he puts before us to touch the lives of people. Moms, some of these opportunities are in the lives of your kids. And you think it's just about making SpaghettiOs. And you're like, why is my world so small? But God is saying, oh no, no, I've put into your care a person whose life I want to change, and you being patient, and you being kind, and you serving your kids the way only moms do is an unbelievable opportunity for you to touch lives. 
I, I have a friend, and many of you know him, his name is Roger Ingebretson. For many years, he was an elder in our church. And Roger told me one time, and I never forgot, he was always sharing with me about somebody that he shared Jesus with. Like almost every week. How was your week? Oh, it was so great, he's a substitute teacher. It was so great. I was, I was in this high school class, and this kid just comes up to me and goes, hey, I see a Bible on your desk. What's that book about? And I shared Jesus with a kid in a public high school classroom because I was allowed to because he asked. And he would tell these stories all the time. I shared Jesus with this person. I led this person to Christ. I ministered to this person. I got involved in this person. I'm like, wow, dude, what do you do? How do you make this happen? Because I get in my car every day, drive to my office, sit in my office, do my thing, get in my car, drive home, and never touch anybody. And you know what he said? Every day I get up in the morning and ask God to open my eyes to the opportunities that are before me, and suddenly there's opportunities everywhere. I'm convinced that the opportunities exist in all of our lives to touch the lives of people. We're just not noticing. You know, um, the problem that comes up though is how do I know if it's God? I mean, there's so many needs and so many, how do I know if it's God? You know how if you answer the phone and there's no caller ID and you pick up the phone and there are some people who say one word and you know exactly who it is, right? Am I right? So there are people whose voices you automatically recognize. Why? This is audience participation. Yeah, because you've heard them a million times before. They're your friends, they're your family, they're your spouse, your mom, your dad, whatever, and you pick up the phone and you immediately recognize their voice and either a smile or a frown comes to your face, right? Do you know, as Christians... It shouldn't be that hard for us to recognize the voice of Jesus. It's not mystical. I'm not talking about, you know, this heaven opening up kind of thing. I'm talking practically here. God speaks to us in his word, okay? There's a lot of ways God speaks. I'm not saying it's the only way he speaks, but it's the only way we can be sure it's God, When you hear from the word of God, you're hearing the voice of God. And and, and so here's the thing. You get this feeling inside of you. Hey, you you should talk to this person about Jesus. This is not rocket science. Ask yourself, is that probably the voice of God or the voice of the devil? Right? Hey, you should you should sacrifice to minister to this person. Is that probably the voice of God or the voice of the devil? Hey, hey, you should um, stop right now with this person that just keeps coming to your mind and just pray for them right now. You think that's the voice of God or you think that's the voice of the devil? Guys, this is not hard. There, there are certain things that when you are exposed to the word of God, you know that this is the kind of thing God says. Start listening to the things that God is saying. Recognize his voice, recognize his values. And start acting on the stuff he's already told you in his word. That's all Philip did that day. What else can we learn from Philip? Number three, you gotta be willing to leave your comfort zone. Philip left Jerusalem to go to Samaria. Did he want to? No. 
Life was good in Samaria, in uh, Jerusalem. Life was easy. His people were there. His support system was there. His life was there. It was easy for him there. And just when he started getting comfortable in Samaria, guess what God did? Picked him up by the nape of the neck and threw him out into a desert road. You see, when I'm in my comfort zone, that's where I put on weight. Anybody, right? I get fat and lazy when there is no exercise in my life. When it becomes easy and normal and simple and basic and I can get through my life every day without ever having to stop and ask God for help, I am probably in the wrong place because the great things happen outside of your comfort zone. You want an example of that better than Philip? How about this guy named Jesus? I don't know if you've heard of him. He was on the throne of heaven and he left for the womb of Mary and the cross of Calvary. And and what did he do while he was here? He went to find the lepers. He went and found Samaritans. He went and found tax collectors. He went and found prostitutes. Don't take that the wrong way. He, He went where the people were who were outside his comfort zone. You you might get up and walk out on this one, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Your comfort is not God's priority. The great things in life happen in the midst of discomfort. Well, some of you are starting to get uncomfortable with the length of this sermon, so let me give you one more thing. Number four, start where the other person is. Philip, it says, walked alongside the chariot until he was invited in. Isn't that interesting? Like I was saying to parents of teenagers about walking alongside. He walked alongside until he was invited in. And in verse 30, it says, Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? He's he's running alongside. Hey, do you understand what you're reading? And then it says, and he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Philip shared by invitation. He didn't come beating down his door, insisting that you listen to me. He sort of earned the right. And he started where the guy was at. He was reading Isaiah. So he asked him about Isaiah. Hey, do you understand what you're reading? Look at verse 34. The eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. The guy had one scroll. It was the book of Isaiah. Philip didn't memorize a script. He didn't have a set of questions that he asks everybody that he sits next to on an airplane until they scream. He, he, he didn't have a tract that he took them through. He just started where he was. Actually listened to him. Actually took an interest in him. Actually cared about him. Listening is a lost art. I don't have to tell you this. You know, our world communicates on social media. Anybody listening very well on social media? Everybody's screaming on social media. Nobody's listening. In American culture today, there's a lot of confusion. A lot of disagreement. 
There's a lot of confusion over various things. Let's just pick one. Use it as an example as long as I'm getting people mad at me. Let's just take one. Let's think about gender and sexuality. Is that controversial in our culture today? People have strong opinions about those kind of things. Do you think this eunuch may have dealt with some of that? I mean, I'm trying to be delicate here, but do you understand what a eunuch is? This is a, a, a boy who before puberty was emasculated. He, he had to be emasculated because he was going to serve in the queen's court and they wanted him to be safe for the queen. So he had to be emasculated before puberty. He was, it was determined that he would be a eunuch. This was not his choice. Nobody makes this choice. This, this was something that was thrust upon him. And what it meant was no testosterone during puberty. That meant no secondary sexual characteristics. Means he didn't have hairy arms, he had smooth arms. Means he didn't have a strong jawline, he had a soft jawline. It means that in many ways he looked more like a woman than he looked like a man. And that wasn't his choice. It meant that he had different sexual desires or maybe no sexual desires than the guys he grew up with. You think he felt different? Do you think it felt good to have someone come along without a lecture but instead who wanted to come alongside of him and get to know what he was going through? What is it like to be you? I'm not saying we, we change the teachings of scripture. I'm not saying we water down the gospel. I'm saying we actually care about people enough to go, what's it like to be you? Your skin color is different than my skin color. What is it like to be you? You, you know, you're, you're, you're a senior citizen and I'm a teenager. What is it like to be you? You're a teenager and I'm a senior citizen. What's it like to be you? What are you going through these days? Our society is so interested in yelling at each other that we don't take time to get to know each other. Philip was able to minister to this guy because he was willing to come alongside and start where he was. Do you communicate to understand or to be understood? Boy, that should be convicting for a lot of us. Is your goal in communication to be understood, make your point? Or do you actually love people enough to want to understand them? You're gay, I'm straight. What's that like to be you? You're rich, I'm poor. What's that like to be you? We're at pro-abortion and anti-abortion rallies on opposite sides of the same intersection. What's it like to be you? What are you going through? All ministry takes place in the context of relationships. Are you driving an agenda? Or are you building a relationship? Philip waited to be asked, and the eunuch did ask. The eunuch answered, verse 34, Philip had said, please tell me of what does the prophet say of this, of who does the prophet say this, of himself or someone else? And then look at verse 36. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down to, into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing." He, it's an interesting question that the eunuch asks. He doesn't say, hey, 
I'd like to get baptized. He says, hey, how come I can't get baptized? What prevents me from being baptized? Go ahead, Philip, I'm used to this. Tell me about why I don't qualify. Go ahead, Philip. And when I was at the, at the temple, they told me I can't go past this line. They told me I'm a eunuch, I'm not welcome. They told me I'm black, I'm not welcome. They told me I'm not Jewish, I'm not welcome. So go ahead, Philip, tell me how come I can't be baptized. And Philip doesn't make it about race and he doesn't make it about sexuality and he doesn't make it about gender and he doesn't make it about nationality and politics. He goes, do you believe in Jesus? And he goes, yes. He goes, let's get you baptized, man. And he baptized them now. If you've been baptized, you know how this is. You go down in the water, you come up, and, the, and what does everyone do first? First thing you do is this, right? So he wipes his eyes, and Philip is gone. Now you say, how did that happen? Have you not seen Star Trek? <laughs> I have no idea how that happened. Maybe Scotty is in heaven going like this, right? I don't know. This, there's like three or four times in scripture where this happens though. God just like moves people. I don't know, I'm not gonna argue that today because we're out of time, but I will say this. This guy is not apparently concerned about what happened to Philip. It says, he went on his way rejoicing. And by the way, where was he going? Back to Ethiopia. And by the way, if you don't know this, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church is the oldest continually active church in the history of the world outside of Israel. This was the beginning of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. One person. And so I ask you, who is your person? Let's pray together. God, we come before you now knowing that you are worthy of the praise and worship of every single person you've ever created. We know that you love every person you've ever created. And so, God, we come on behalf of those who do not yet know you. Some of them know us and they don't know you. And so we ask you, God, begin to open their eyes to see the truth. Begin to open our eyes to see the opportunities. Father, let us be people who are willing to come alongside and care for people and not lecture them and beat them up. Father, help us to be people who care more about your glory and your gospel than we do about our own agendas and our own plans. God, help us to be people who love others and lead them to you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.